Amen. Good morning and please be seated. What a beautiful day we have. Fall has arrived and I am so glad that we could all be together for the very first day of vest season. I wore this just for all of you and I hope that maybe by the end of the year I can win more of you over to the vest club. This morning, we're going to continue the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews 11.1, 1, but we're going to back up and actually start reading in chapter 10, verse 26. So we're going to re recover some of the verses that we covered last Sunday as we consider the question, what does faith do? What does faith do? So as you're turning, let me just make you aware of a few things that are of pretty significant importance. Next Sunday morning, we are... We are going to return to life groups here at Malvern Hill. Now, um, they're going to look a little different. So what I'm going to need more than anything is for everybody to take a deep breath and go, ah, it's going to be okay. All right? So we're going to do that next Sunday morning. We're going to go back to our what we want time once referred to as our normal times. Well, now we'll just refer to it as our pre-corona times. And if you don't know what those were, because here's the amazing thing. There's, a, there's two handfuls of people here today that never actually attended our church before that. So for people that might wonder about God's activity, even during difficult days, uh, I've got to explain what our normal times are because some of you have no idea. So life groups will meet on campus next Sunday morning at 915 Worship will continue to take place for the time being in the parking lot and indoors. So worship format will look exactly the same for the time being, and worship will be at 1030. Okay? Here are some particular requests that I'm going to make. And I say I. Now, it's a we for some of this, and it's an I for some of it. So I just want to be clear. We are asking, and when I say asking, I want you to hear urging strongly something almost close to requiring, begging, pleading for our children and our teenagers to wear masks during their life group time, okay? They do not social distance. Our teenagers are wonderful, but they love each other so much that the moment they get inside of a building, this is how they look, just like that, okay? So, um, so parents... I'm going to ask you to please support us. You don't have to love it. That's fine. I'm just going to ask you to do it, to think about somebody else that might be a lot more comfortable that way. If, if that's what makes you feel better, if you would please just do that for us, all right? Adults and everybody, I am asking for us to wear a mask into the building, okay? Through the hallways and all those other places where I might get up in somebody's face by accident. Now, Adults, when you get to your life group rooms, if all of you want to look around as adults and say we believe that we can create enough social distance between us and we're going to take these off for our life groups, y'all are adults. And so I'm going to say adults do adult things, okay? So, but I'm, I'm just asking you, I, please, for the love of all things that are right in the world, don't make this about politics because it's not, all right? This is all about us doing all that we can to get back to life. I got a, a note this week, and it, it just encouraged me so much. A lady in our church said, Pastor Craig, thank you for that sermon last week. I'm ready to get back to something that looks like normal. I don't care if we have to have, wear masks or whatever we have to do. Can we please just get there? And folks, that's kind of where I am, all right? So uh, if y'all would help me, uh, 
the more that y'all help me by doing those things, the better chance we have of there being an extended period of life groups without us having to have an interruption. We live with reality, okay? Something might happen that would result in us having to not have life groups for a week or so. If that were to happen, we will continue to worship outside. Okay, we would just cancel life groups. But beginning next Sunday, and until you hear otherwise, worship will be at 1030. Life groups will be at 1015. 915. 915. 915. Okay, 915. Worship at 1030. All right? So uh, we urge you, and oh, oh, side note, some of the life groups are going to meet by necessity in different places than you have before. Okay, so um, uh, so please just we're gonna you'll you'll get some emails this week. If you have questions, you can call Pastor Kevin here at the office. You can call your life group leader. We're gonna get that information out again. Please be flexible with us. Do me this favor. Don't call us and go. Why are you moving our classroom? Okay, uh, or you can call and ask, but be kind about it. But let me just go ahead and tell you the answer. The answer is if we're moving your classroom. It's because we want to do all that we can to provide as much social distancing as possible. There are some of our smaller classes that just because of tradition or just because it just started that way or ended that way, we have some, some smaller groups of people that meet in larger spaces. Okay, And so we're going to rotate some of those around. We also have some groups that just meet in spaces that are too, that we, like we've got one group that's going to meet in the sanctuary because we just need to have as much space. We don't have a lot of big rooms. Finally... Our children are going to return to life group. And y'all, that was unexpected for me. But I just want you to know that's, that's and when I say unexpected, I wasn't opposed to it. But it was just because we needed to have, uh, our, I wanted to give freedom to our children's life group leaders to make decisions that they were comfortable with. And folks, they want to get back and, and teach your kids. They want to get back and teach our kids. And so um, uh, children's life group will begin. Children's life group leaders, please see Miss Rhonda afterward up here either near the building or in the building, she has your curriculum that you will need, all right? There's a possibility that when you show up next Sunday, that's going to look vastly different. We might not, you know, we might just take your kid and take them to class as opposed to crowding our hallways with all you germ-filled, nasty, I mean, wonderful, godly people, okay? Why are we doing all this, and why am I spending so much oxygen talking about it? Because I'm excited to return to life group. And I know that when we do, it's going to be a little different. And I know that we're going to do it in ways that are not exactly the way that some of you would want to. And I get that. Okay. Um, but even though we're not, can we just say we're not doing it exactly in the way that I would want to. You understand? I'm helping coach football this year and I'm wearing a mask while I'm coaching football. I, I promise you that is not what I want to do. There's a lot of things that I don't want to do, but what I do want to do is return to the fellowship of our life groups and I'm going to do whatever it takes for us to get there. So um, that will be next Sunday. Um, so please make plans to be here. Let me reiterate one more time. Worship is at 1030 and it will be in the exact same format that you see right now. That means for those of you that have already appreciated our, our, our setup crew, appreciate them even more because they'll still get here at the same time next Sunday morning. They'll set everything up. They'll then go to life group. We'll all have worship. And then hopefully we'll have a couple extra hands that'll say, hey, let me, let me chip in to get everything torn down. But um, 
that's what it's going to look like. That means if, if you're in that high-risk category and you've not been you know, going out to dinner and, and you've not been in public in the last six months and you just don't need to be and you don't feel comfortable, we're going we're gonna, to, for as long as we can, we're going to continue to try and provide these opportunities for you where you can come sit in our parking lot, you can sit in your vehicle, okay? So that's just what we're doing, and we're going to play it you know, week to week, month to month uh, like that, okay? I want to ask if there are any questions, but that would be a horrible idea at this point in time. All right. Having said all of that, hopefully by now you've made it to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is is what we call the hall of faith in Scripture. And as I looked at Hebrews 11 and thought about how in the world I would preach through it, I said, well, we could either preach one sermon through Hebrews 11 or we could preach about 20 sermons through Hebrews 11. And instead, I've split the difference and we're going to preach two sermons out of Hebrews chapter 11. So today, we're going to kind of pick up sort of the therefore aspect of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 that we see. And then next week, we're going to look at the big picture of all that's happening in Hebrews chapter 11. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. And we're going to read all the way through to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will not delay." But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you give us this kind of faith, the kind of faith that your word speaks of, a strong, powerful faith that is not shaken. A faith that keeps us, Lord God, from being those who shrink back, but instead, Lord, Lord, that we would be those who stand firm. May we have that kind of confident, convictional faith that, Lord God, not only saves our souls, but drives us to change the world around us. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. One other announcement as you're being seated this morning. We do have a Next Steps class this afternoon. Uh, Even if you haven't signed up, if you've been visiting with our church and are curious about what it would look like to join our church, we have a Next Steps class that will meet here at 4 o'clock this afternoon in the sanctuary. So even if you haven't signed up and you're interested in that, I would invite you to come and join with us this afternoon at 4 o'clock.
what does faith do? What does faith do? I, I mean, if we're just totally honest, this year, 2020, has been just one upheaval after another, hasn't it? I mean, on, on Friday night, we get the news that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died right here on the eve of a presidential election. It's just really one more hit from 2020, just one more thing that you step back and you go, I can't believe that all of this could get crammed into one year, and yet here we are. We're, we're in, a, in a country that's already seen incredible upheaval this year. We've been upended by COVID. We've been upended by riots and, and, and violence and all the things, and yet here we are again. We're probably looking at, at, at more anger, more distrust. There will be riots in the street again as a result of everything that will take place in the coming weeks. And, and we ask the question, as followers of Jesus, what hope do we have? What does our faith do in what we can only describe as uncertain times? We also have to ask the question of what is a Christian? What, what is a believer in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews gives us this picture of faith as an active faith, as an enduring faith, and as a contagious faith. But this active faith carries with it the idea that all sorts of things are good and, and right and need to take place in the world around us. But the, the book of Hebrews also wrestles with some very difficult topics and one of those topics is, is what we, we would call apostasy or the falling away. So, so one of the questions then becomes as we consider these things is, what is a backslidden or a carnal Christian? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 lists this, this understanding of those who have lost the faith, who have wandered from the faith, of those where something has, has gone wrong. Now, I really don't know what a carnal or a backslidden Christian is. The Bible's clear that even Christians sometimes sin, but a person who shows a pattern of deliberate sin without repentance shouldn't be treated as a backslidden believer, but as an unbeliever in need of the gospel. Why is that? Because there no longer remains a sacrifice, the Bible says, for those who continue to live in active, unrepentant sin. As believers in Jesus Christ, when we encounter those who are living lives that do not look like what the Bible describes as a Christian life, and when that's the regular pattern of their life, our response to them should be to lovingly call them to repentance, to share with them the life-giving, life-breathing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happens if that person happens to be a Christian and we share with them the gospel? Then they hear the gospel, and that gospel brings them to repentance. Because the faith that Christ has called us to is an active faith. A faith that changes us, that challenges us, that urges us forward. The Bible is clear. We have some evidence of, of even Peter who denied Jesus. Peter who walked away from his faith for a period of time, or at least seemed to. And the Bible says that Jesus welcomed him back by doing what? By challenging Peter's denial and requesting his, his commitment. There was an activity on the part of Jesus that when he went to his wayward brother, he called him back. 
Folks, as we consider faith this morning, I actually want us to begin with this question. Who do you know this morning who claims to be a person of faith but does not look like Jesus? Who do you know this morning who claims to be a person of faith who needs to hear from you, come home to Christ? Who do you know that needs to be challenged in their wayward ways? Folks, I'm just going to say something, and this might be a little harsh, but if a person is offended because you share the gospel with them, there's a decent possibility that they desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If a person who claims to be a Christian is offended because you share the gospel with them, there's a decent possibility that they desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm occasionally blessed to have somebody come to me out in the street or, or maybe in a store or at a restaurant and to share the gospel with me. You know, I've never been offended when somebody came to me and shared the gospel. I've never looked at them and said, I'm a pastor. I don't need your gospel preaching. I look at them and I say, thank you so much for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm always encouraged to see somebody who's been so changed by the gospel of Jesus that it's driven them forward in activity. This morning, what does faith do? The first thing is that faith is active. It's active in calling home those wayward believers. But folks, it's not just active in that. It's also active in securing ourselves, living certain in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Faith celebrates the now, the reality of future blessing. That's, that's why before we even move to the idea of the endurance of faith, it's important for us to be reminded that faith is, is active. It isn't passive. It is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, James reminds us that faith without deeds is dead. In Hebrews 10, 26, as we just saw, we're warned that if we go on sinning, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins. If we go on sinning, what is the opposite of go on sinning? Well, go on not sinning, right? Except the reality is we rarely live in this idea of sin or not sin. Instead, we live in the world of sin or a pursuit of righteousness. We don't spend much time in neutral. Why don't we? Because if I'm in neutral, what eventually happens is I drift one way or the other. Yesterday, me and my girls went and uh, uh, spent a few, just, just about an hour, I went and got them something from Starbucks, and they rode with me to the, the car wash, and we got the truck wash. And I, I love these, these, these car washes where you just pull up there, and you, you stick it neutral, and they just, it just sucks you right through, and it cleans everything. And it does, it does 35 minutes worth of work in two and a half minutes. I love it. The kids, you know, they like it. It covers the car and that colorful soap. And when it comes out, man, the, the red, I got in red mud yesterday. The red mud was all gone. Then we got out with like a pit crew. I like to take the kids when I go get mine washed. We like a pit crew. Everybody jumps out and grabs a vacuum and we vacuum it out. We jump back in and we're gone just that quick. It's great. But, you know, you pull up and you put it in neutral. And the reason you put it in neutral is because there's a little conveyor belt and that little conveyor belt sucks you right through. When I put my truck in neutral, I am at the mercy of whoever else is exerting pressure upon me. It's pulling me right where it wants me to go. The reason that our options must not be between sinning or just simply not sinning, the idea of I'm just going to live in not sin, I'm going to live in neutral, it fails quickly because at some point something else exerts pressure on us. 
We either are pushed towards godliness or we are pushed away from godliness. And what is it that determines where we get pushed? It's the environments in which we find ourselves, right? So if I put myself actively as a person of faith among the people of faith and among the things of God, then I get pushed out of neutral and into active obedience with Christ. But if instead I put myself in places where I'm around the things that are not of the Lord and people that are not of the Lord, then I'm pushed into active disobedience. You understand? See, there's an activity that's going to take place one way or the other. See, our, our lives are not to, to be content simply not sinning. Instead, we are to pursue righteousness. There's a belief in some corners of Christianity, even in evangelicalism, that right belief is all that matters. For the record, right belief has to come first. Nothing else matters if I get Jesus wrong. You understand that? Unless I get Jesus right, I can't get anything else right. Unless I get the gospel right, I can't get anything else right. But if you're not driven to serve Jesus with your life in an active kind of faith and to serve others, you don't have right beliefs. Do you understand? You don't have right beliefs. If you don't believe me, let's just run to James. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother's sister poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself does not have, that if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. We like to do that, don't we? Well, I'm the, I'm the guy that's got the right belief. We'll let you do all the work. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the Scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead." Well, we don't get to run to James and go, yeah, well, but, you know, James was just kind of old school, and I'm more, you know, I, I, I understand a little differently. No, we don't get to do that. we got to take all of God's Word as all of God's Word. As Christians, we are to love God, love others, and change the world. Those are our marching orders. How do we show our love for God and for others? We looked at this just a few weeks ago, the book of Malachi, right? Uh, do, do just, uh, oh, I can't even talk right now. Um, out of the book of Malachi, we saw, we speak, uh, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, right? That, that, those are the, the marching orders in the book of Malachi. We speak of justice, mercy, and humility. We're speaking of biblical terms that are a requirement for the followers of Jesus. Now, side note, we can't allow those biblical terms to be co-opted by our culture. Culture doesn't get to determine the definition for words that are God's words. Biblical justice can be defined this way. The order that God seeks to reestablish in his creation 
where all people receive the benefits of life with him. In other words, our efforts to bring about biblical justice, which is the active pursuit of loving Jesus as faithful followers of Jesus, our efforts to bring about biblical justice would be doing all that we can to fight against the curse of sin and to promote God's kingdom on earth. And if you want to know what God's kingdom on earth would look like, we run all the way back to the Garden of Eden. See, folks, we can't grasp a picture of God's kingdom until we do it from a biblical perspective. The Bible begins in Eden, and it ends in Eden, as it were. We begin in the garden, we end there. Jesus came to set all things right. Our sin messed everything up. Ultimately, Jesus is working to bring about God's kingdom return to earth. And when the new heaven and the new earth comes back down, we will see the replanting of the tree of life. And in that place, God's people will live under God's rule and God's blessing in God's place. There will be no longer sin or shame or pain. And everyone will live in perfect harmony with one another, perfectly experiencing the blessing of God. What does that mean? That means as Christ's ambassadors in the world seeking to bring about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, just as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we don't simply pray, Lord God, your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, unless we're willing to be agents of his work in the world around us. We've got to be active. What does that look like? We might just imitate Jesus who fed the poor, healed the sick, and gave hope to the hopeless. See, folks, we don't get to show up on church at, to church on Sundays and say that we fulfilled our Christian duty. Faith is active. And, folks, it's active Sunday through Saturday. Faith is active as it is a lived-out experience of our lives. So faith is active. The second thing we see this morning is that faith is enduring. A saving faith is a staying faith. The faith of Hebrews 11.1 1 is a staying faith. Now, I didn't mark my page. This wind is, is, is awesome. I'm not going to complain about it because, y'all, this is the day. Like somewhere back in like the beginning of August, this is what I was praying for. So if I complain, I will just be speaking out against the Lord giving me what I prayed for. So, but in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. One commentary that I read this week said, he could have just as easily said, therefore faith. And when we see the therefore in Scripture, we need to ask, what is it therefore? Now, this, this, this faith, he says, now faith. Now, why does he do that? Because he's been talking about faith in Hebrews chapter 10, right? He says, this is what a faith should look like. And then 39, he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So he says that we're to be a people of faith, but then in Hebrews 11, he's going to say, now this is what the faith that I'm talking about looks like. And one of the things we see is that it is an enduring faith. Which faith is it speaking of? The kind of faith that keeps us, you ready, from shrinking back. The kind of faith that keeps us moving forward regardless of what life may bring. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 26 through 39 are a warning against apostasy, against falling away. He says, now faith is what keeps us from falling away. But what is this faith? We're going to see that in just a moment. But faith that saves is a faith 
that stays. In lots of places, we speak of the perseverance of the saints. But I like to speak more of the preservation of the saints. It is true that as followers of Jesus Christ, we persevere, we keep on, we, <coughs> excuse me, we endure. What is endurance? I wrote about this this week. Endurance does not equal enjoyment. The fact that you have to endure something means that it is hard. All right? I am a runner. Now, when I say I'm a runner, I need to clarify what I mean. I run from dogs. I run from bears. I run from my wife sometimes. But no, I, I like to run occasionally. It, it, it helps me to keep the weight off. I, I enjoy a bit of running. But I need to explain what I mean when I say running. I did a podcast interview with a guy this week. I'd encourage you, I'm going to post it this week. I'd encourage you guys to listen to it. It's an unbelievable testimony of God's goodness and of the ability to forgive. It's, it, 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 it's, it's mind-blowing of a man that could find the ability to forgive. Unbelievable. He's, he's found a way to forgive the man that killed his mama. Y'all, this is powerful stuff. But this guy runs like ultra marathons and things. I said, what'd you do last week? Well, I, I had to recover a little this week. I, I ran a 40-mile race. Listen, nobody runs a 40-mile race because it feels good. You understand? When I say I run, I run, this is as cold as I want it to be. If it gets much colder than this, I'm, I'm, I'm too soft to run. Okay? And when I run, it's like two miles. The minute at three miles max, when it starts getting a little bit tough, I'm done because I just don't care that much about running. But if you're going to push yourself to do something like a marathon or worse, there's going to be endurance that's a part of the process. You don't do it because it's fun in the middle. You do it because you got a goal at the end. Folks, the Christian life is an endurance process or project. There will be many things in our Christian lives that are not enjoyable, and the Bible never promises they will be. But a faith that saves is a faith that stays, that when life gets hard, believers run to Jesus, and they lean on Jesus, and they cling to Jesus. Our faith stays because God stays. This is where I talk about not just the perseverance, but the preservation of God's Holy Spirit. Why can we persevere? Because though the world may rage around us, God hasn't moved. He's an anchor in the storm, and he holds us tight. Because God holds on to us, because God holds on to us, we don't have to worry about falling away. Years ago, it's coming up. It's good to tell this story in the parking lot. Years ago, we got to church. We'd all come together as a family. We were a better family then, I guess. We'd all come together as a family. We're walking in, and Wyatt is walking. And Wyatt was little. He was a little Wyatt. He's a big Wyatt now. He was a little Wyatt back then. And, and even as a little Wyatt, he was a little Wyatt with a big attitude. And he wanted to walk on his own. And he could do it all by himself. And so he did. And off little Wyatt runs. Um, no, that's not true. He, wasn't holding, he wanted to hold my hand. I said, I'm going to hold you. Now I'll hold your hand. So off we go. And I've got my hand out. And assertive little Wyatt's holding my hand. And we're walking right up there. And as we're walking, little Wyatt trips. And when Wyatt tripped, Wyatt let go of my hand, because that's what you do when you get scared. And when Wyatt let go of my hand, Wyatt face-planted in the parking lot. Boom. I picked him up and got blood on my shoulder because he's bleeding, and we carry him in. I've got a bloody shirt, and he's bloody. 
And I, we loved on him. We bandaged him up. But you know why Wyatt fell that day? Wyatt fell because he was holding on to me and I wasn't holding on to him. There's a difference there. There's been a whole bunch of times in my children's lives when they were younger that I was holding their hand and they stumbled. And when they stumbled, I grabbed them just like this and their little feet come off the floor and they said, that hurts. I said, it hurt a lot less than it would have you face it hit that concrete. Folks, we can persevere in the Christian faith and we can keep running because sometimes when we stumble, there's a God that's holding on. A faith that saves is a faith that stays because God doesn't let us go. Christians look like Christians most of the time. Most of the time. There there will be times of sin. I don't deny that. There will be times when we're pushing God away. But just as a river always flows to the sea, a Christian is life, their, their life is always making their way to Jesus. Or we're moving in that direction. So faith is active, faith is enduring. What else does faith do? Faith is contagious. Come back to Hebrews 11.1 1 again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance of things hoped for. Now, this is the faith that helps us to be confident. It's, it's an assurance. We have the assurance of things hoped for through the gospel of Jesus. There's ample evidence for the birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. And it's that evidence that gives us assurance if Jesus could do what he said he was going to do, and if he could get up out of the grave, then we can have confidence that everything he said is true. You understand? When you make good on your promises, I trust you. And when your promise is, I'm going to get crucified, and then I'm going to walk out of the grave, and then I'm going to ascend up to heaven. When that's your promise and you can make good on that, I, <laughs> you, you can have any, anything from me you want because I'm going to follow you everywhere you go. You understand? That's the assurance that we have of things hope for, but Hebrews 11 also says it's the conviction of things not seen. Conviction. What is this conviction? To some degree, that conviction comes through the inner work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Conviction is that moment where you say, I was blind, but now I see. Hunting season is here, and I, I got to admit, I haven't even been in the woods yet, but uh, these are my binoculars, and I, I love these things, and, and I love them because I, I hunt some places that are, that are long shots, and it's, it's rare in the middle of the day that I actually need these. You understand? Because I can look across, and, and I, I can tell you, I, I one time missed a, a, a huge deer at 400 yards. I didn't need binoculars to know that that was a big deer, okay? I could tell and, and, at 9 o'clock in the morning just as clear as day, right there at 400 yards, he was a monster. But at about, you know, 10 minutes before... Legal shooting time ends. For those of you, I don't, you know, I don't even know what time that is right now. Seven thirty or something like that. Things get a little crazy, right? And and you look out and you see deer everywhere. Now, what these binoculars do for me is they give me the ability at about that time to look out there and to look at those deer. And what I find out a whole bunch of times is that's not a deer at all. It's just a bush. Or it's just a tree. I had a dog walk out on me one time. That thing about got smoked. It was just a dog. But these binoculars help me to have conviction about what I'm looking at. You understand? I've got a thought about what I'm looking at, but when I put these things up, I look out and I go, oh, now that's exactly what I see. Sometimes when I look out there, I say, I didn't see what I thought I saw. Sometimes I pull those things up and I go, oh, <laughs> that's a lot better than what I thought I saw. Most of the times, I just pick them up and go, oh, well. 
Folks, when the Bible talks about conviction, assurance we get through the, the evidence we have of Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, and ascension. But that, that conviction of things hoped for, that's that moment where you say, I was blind, but now I see. Conviction is that inner work of the Holy Spirit. See, assurance is what we're using mostly when we're doing apologetic work. Let me tell you the evidence I have for Jesus coming. And, and then at some point, somebody will go, all right, so, so that, that seems to add up. But why do you believe in Jesus? And folks, at some point, we're just like that young man that says, I was blind, but now I see. See, there's a place in our faith where we are pretty sure and we say, Lord God, come in and save me. But on the moment that he saves us, we go from being pretty sure to going, holy cow, I didn't know that God could do that. Conviction is, I know what Jesus did for me. And folks, when we talk about faith being contagious, this is where it gets contagious. It gets contagious because we have a conviction about how good salvation is and how good Jesus is. And we have that kind of conviction. It prompts within us a contagious confidence to share with the whole wide world. The only reason I had this with me, in all honesty, I, I, I thought about using this as a sermon illustration about a half an hour ago. The only reason I have it with me is because somebody said, hey, do you have a case? You ever heard of a good case for some binoculars? I said, man, have I heard? I've got one. Man, I love this thing. Well, can you bring it? Let me look at it. And it's in the truck. I don't part with it. I love it. It's great. Well, what's so good about it? Everything. Right? I like the way it looks. I like the way it carries. I just, I love it. You know what? Nobody has to ask me to tell them about it. They get tired of hearing me talk about things I like. Clemson fans, we get so tired. I'm tired, but don't worry. SEC football starts next week and everything changes. Amen. I heard that. Thank you. I appreciate it. But, you know, we don't, I don't have to ask you about your college football team. I don't. I don't have to ask you about the things you like. I was talking with somebody just a few minutes ago about their truck. He said, man, this thing rides so good. I didn't even ask him how it rode. He just said, it is so good. Folks, because when we experience it, there ain't nothing like it. You understand? Nothing like it. This is one reason I'm so glad for small children, young children. Y'all, they can't hush when something good happens. They're still talking about it. Somebody had something they liked or something they got to do, and they want to talk about it for 17 hours. They go to bed and wake up and they're still talking about it because they experienced it and it made a change, it made a difference. Oh, so the Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance we get is by trusting in the evidence, but the conviction we get is when the evidence becomes real in our own life. And this is where it gets contagious because, folks, at that point, I can't shut up. I find a way to kind of work it into my conversations. It prompts within us a contagious confidence to share with the whole world. What does faith do? Oh, faith changes everything. It's active. 
It's enduring and it's contagious. It saves you, but that isn't all. It changes you and it changes the world. But you understand it's not just faith in faith. We, we, we kind of live in a world, and this is going to be one of the questions on your study guide this week. What, what is faith? It's not just faith in something. I can have faith that if I jump off of this thing, you know, I, I won't break a leg or something. But I don't know if that's true. I can have faith if I climb off that building and dive off that it won't kill me. That doesn't mean it's true. I can have faith that one of y'all is going to give me a million dollars, but unless you got a million dollars in the heart to do it, it ain't going to do me any good. You understand? See, we have faith in the one who can do it. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And an active, enduring, and contagious faith in Jesus can change the world. And so this morning, I simply ask you, do you have faith in Christ? Have you been changed? If you haven't, I want to invite you to know Jesus today. If you're watching at home, I want to invite you to know Jesus today. If you're in our sanctuary, I want to invite you to know Jesus today. If you're out here in the parking lot, I want you to invite invite you to know Jesus today. You say, Craig, I, I don't know how to do that. It's, it's really pretty simple. See, faith is simply trusting that Jesus can. If you would just cry out to the Lord, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Would you save me? Do you know that if you'll do that with sincerity of heart and intention, that God will save you? There's not a magic word that you have to utter. You don't need the laying on of hands from a preacher. If you'll do those things, God will save you. So some of you may need to experience Jesus for the very first time. The other thing is that there's some of you here today and at home that have faith, but there's no works. You claim to love Jesus, but that love of Jesus hasn't changed you. Or that love of Jesus hasn't changed anybody around you. You claim to love Jesus, but the guys you work with would have no idea that you loved Jesus. Faith without works is dead. But real faith, now that's a different story. Real faith will change your life and your future. There's some of you here today who need to hear that God loves you and God saved you from your sins. But you've been sitting on the sidelines for far too long and it's time that you had an active faith. A faith that's pursuing Christ and pursuing others and seeking to change the world. And then there's finally probably somebody here today for whom their faith has just been a precipitous journey for the last month, year. But something's gone wrong. Something went bad. Something didn't go according to plan. And you almost gave up. And as the psalmist said, your foot seemed like it was ready to slip. And today you showed up. Today you tuned in. However it is that you're with us, but today you're there. Your marriage has been on the rocks. Finances have been on the rocks. 
Things just haven't been good. In the midst of all that, you've wondered where in the world God could be. And perhaps you forgot in the middle of all that that he didn't move. Perhaps you started backing up and questioning whether or not it was all worth it to be committed. And you need to be reminded that we are the people that don't back up and back out. We endure in the hard days. And we continue to move forward because God loves you and sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. And because Jesus has done the work on the cross, folks, you can step forward in faith. If you're inside today, you need somebody to pray with you. Pastor Buster's in there, and he he would love to do that. If you're out here today and you need somebody to pray with you, I, I would love to do that. I'll be over here outside the camera. I'd love to do that. If you're right at home and you just say, I, I know that I just need the Lord to step in and change me. Right there where you are, let me give you this confidence. God hears your prayers. Would you cry out to him today? You say, Craig, I don't have enough faith. Here's the awesome thing. It's okay. I don't know if you remember this, but there's a story in the New Testament of this father who looked at Jesus and he said, if you can, will you heal my son? And Jesus said, if I can, all things are possible. And the man looked up to the Lord and he said, Lord, I believe, but help mine unbelief. Jesus, I believe a little bit, and I want to believe all the way, but God, I just don't have it in me. You know, that was enough from the Lord, that mustard seed of faith. And the Lord took that mustard seed, and he fertilized, and he watered it. And as he worked in his life, he grew it up into something powerful. And Jesus worked a miracle. You say, Craig, I don't have enough faith, and I need a miracle. I know the guy, and his name is Jesus. And he's enough. Whatever it is that the Lord's doing in your life, would you allow him to work this morning as we sing? If you'd like for me to pray with you, I'd love to. If you'd like to pray right there at your seat, I'd love to. And I just remind you again this morning as I did last week. Let's respond to the Lord with our voices and sing to Jesus. Because he's worthy and he's enough. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we praise you, we honor you, we thank you. And I pray, Lord God, you'd be among us. Help us to be the kind of people who don't shrink back, but who trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand as we sing. If I can pray with you this morning, I'd love to do that.